Well, hey, everyone. I'm so excited that you've joined us as we continue in our series called Here for the Comments. And I want to start off with a story about a certain guy. His name is Hernando Cortez. Looks pretty good, doesn't he? Now, here's the thing I want you to know about this guy. This is not a guy that I want you to like strive to live after. He's not the best guy. You study some history on him, not a good dude. But I do think we can learn from anybody who's ever gone through life and had to face difficult circumstances. And so Cortez here had to face something that I think all of us can relate to, but his was on a whole nother level. So to give you a little history, here's what uh, you need to know about him. He was a Spanish explorer. And he was pretty much known for conquering a lot of people. And at this point, it's in 1519, he wants to conquer the Aztecs, take all their gold, and just kind of live with that fame for the rest of his life. So he's got 500 soldiers with him. He's got 100 sailors with him. And so that amounts to 11 ships. They get there. They get to the island that they need to be at. They're about ready to go scout the land and just kind of be like, okay, let's go check this out. And he runs into a difficult moment that some of us have all faced. Now, here's what's going on. He tells his men, let's do this. And they're all like, eh, you know what? I'm I'm just not feeling this now. I know we signed up for this. I know you're paying us, but this seems a little risky. This plan does not seem to be working out well. I'm just not trusting it. And they kind of started pushing back and be like, we're just going to stay on the boats. We're good with that. And eventually, there even became kind of this little mutiny started to where they're going to be like, hey, let's get one of these boats sneaked out and let's leave. And so Cortez is faced with this dynamic to where he's all in, but the people around him aren't. The only other thing I could think of compared to, have you ever done a group project? Do you remember that in school? To where maybe you were the one that was all in, like, let's get a good grade on this. And everybody else is like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You can do that. But that's what he's facing. And here's my thing. We've all been on this. Whether it's been we are the ones all in or we're the ones going, "Ah, I'm just not feeling this. And I want to talk about, I bring the story up because I want to talk about what does it mean to be consistent? What does it mean to have faith? Because I think that story kind of starts to point out this truth that you may not like to hear, but it is truth. And it's simply this. Inconsistency equals lack of commitment. How many of you have ever started off the year with some really big goals, okay? And then by January 15th, this piece of it has already started to kick in, okay? How many of you have started diets? You're like, this is going to be it. This is how I get the body I want. (laughs) Two days later, you're going, that donut, those ribs, they're awesome. Inconsistent starts to happen. And Let's get into a real situation because I've been guilty of this. How many of you have ever had to have that tough conversation maybe with your kid, maybe with a coworker, maybe with your spouse, maybe with a friend, and you knew it and you told somebody like, ah, you're right, I've got to have this conversation. I have to do it. But then we avoid it because it's tough. And if you look at this, just this kind of mentality, and I, I would say even now there's studies that are coming out. If we talk about this with time, It's crazy. We are living in the age of bailing. It's the golden age of bailing right now. Some people even are labeling just generation as the generation flake. And there's been, and I'm not just, there's proof behind this now where they surveyed 2,000 people. And of these 2,000 people, they had 104 social commitments. 
whether it be weddings, whether it be dinner parties, whatever it may be. Social commitments. Think about even your week this week, because that would be almost two per week. Two social commitments. And what they found is that most people could only make it to half of them. Of the 104 that they put together in a year, they can make it to half of them. They would bail on the others. It's crazy, isn't it? And now some of you may be thinking, well, okay, but what's, what's the big deal? I mean, is bailing really that big of an issue? Isn't it okay to be a little inconsistent? And I get it. Because I think we all kind of wrestle with this, don't we? We love it when we see people who are very faithful and very consistent. But then when we look at ourselves, we know the areas where maybe it's not as great as we would like it to be. And see, that's where we land. As we've been going through this series, we have been going through the book of Malachi. And so to give you a little history, and the reason I set it up this way is because that's where the Israelites are at right now. They've been, to give you some history, they've been going through 70 years of slavery. Then they had some great years of just having freedom and a lot of years of having freedom. And they've got to this point to where they're apathetic and they're kind of just, eh. But then God starts to even point them out. And that's why he sent Malachi as a prophet to go, you need to call them out on this stuff. And because one of the things that the Israelites were starting to notice, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, is that their prayers, they just felt like they were hitting the ceiling. Felt like they weren't connecting with God. And so Malachi goes, well, I can tell you why. And so look at this in chapter two, verse 13. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. Let's just say Malachi did not hold back, okay? Because you, I mean, the tears, the weeping, the groaning, these people were going, God, answer this, God, and it just felt like it was going nowhere. And he goes, well, there you go. God's not paying attention to it. He's not listening to it. And then he goes on to explain why here in the next verse. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young, but you've been unfaithful to her though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. So some of you, if you've read the Bible, marriage is brought up a lot, and sometimes it refers to Jesus being the groom and church being the bride. This is not the case. This is not some metaphor. This is literally what's going on, and it's creating a very unhealthy culture within the Israelite nation, is that you have a lot of men who are choosing, now that they've been married for many years, they're going, you know what, I want to get a divorce and I want to find someone younger. And so they would start marrying younger women. And the other issue was the priests were allowing it. So you can only imagine how many women are in this community hurt and broken and angry. Think about the family dynamic that's going on there. And also just how selfish the men are being. But it doesn't stop there. But you priests have left God's path. Your instructions have caused me many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So now you have the spiritual leaders who are supposed to be directing people in the right way, supposed to be showing people how to live for God. And you hear your instructions have caused many to stumble into sin. Their character was almost to a point to where people would go, I don't even know if I can trust them. 
Think about living in that to where the pastors and the priests are not the people of character, not the people that we go to to be the spiritual leaders we need. And it was at this point, I kind of sat in this, and I was like, if we were to describe this culture, here's what you would hear. The church's reputation is known for being divisive because the priests are pointing them in the wrong directions. The priests are known for not having character. Divorce is commonplace. Many were putting something else above God. Families were very broken. And I'm looking at this as God is kind of speaking into this, and I just had to pause a little bit and go, I don't like saying this, but maybe you've got to ask this, because I did. Does this sound familiar? I'll read those again, and maybe you thought like me, this doesn't sound too far off from our culture. The church's reputation for being divisive is commonplace. We've seen that. Priests are known for not having character. Divorce is commonplace. Many have put something else above God, and families are very broken. And maybe we could ask, does it feel right now that maybe God's not hearing our prayers? And I sat there and went, maybe we can connect with this more than we realize. Because sometimes we feel so disconnected from the Bible, but I felt at this point, it was like, I, I feel this. I know what this culture is like. And God's calling them out on it. So the question then becomes that I started to wrestle with, and maybe you're wrestling with it too, is are there consequences to being unfaithful? Because catch this, like the inconsistencies that they started having, it's not like all of a sudden they woke up and the guy's like, you know what, I want a divorce. It's not like the priest just started giving bad advice. They started being inconsistent, which led to being unfaithful. And I would say unfaithful has consequences. It does. Because it breaks trust. The relationship you once have or once had, it's not the same anymore. I mean, think about it. I'll just give you some examples. Think about that boss that's trying to encourage you and give you that just motivation. It's hard to hear that when you know your boss is either lying to you, cheating, or just not a good human being. Or on top of that, it's really hard to hear the I love yous, the hugs, and the time spent together with the spouse that's cheating on you. It's hard to hear the I love yous and the hugs and the time together as a kid when your parent is constantly gone or absent. It's hard to make time for a friend and still have it mean something when you know they may be gossiping about you, lying about you, or might don't even make time for you. And I think if we put ourselves in God's shoes, it's kind of hard to hear people's prayers when they're inconsistent believers. That's what it's like. If you don't believe me that unfaithfulness has consequences, ask anybody who's ever been betrayed. And they'll tell you. It hurts. The relationship is not what it used to be. But I think the beautiful part 
is that God does not leave us there. And neither did he leave the Israelites. Because now he's going, okay, so what do we do with this? And our first step is start to recognize that faithfulness requires consistent decisions. Because I'll be the first to say, this does not mean we need to be perfect. God is not demanding perfection from us, but what he wants us to recognize is our inconsistencies, is our unfaithfulness, and start to go, okay, let's change this. Let's start making consistent decisions over time, repeatedly, and start working towards this. And sometimes we'll take some steps forward, but then we may take a few steps back, but we keep trying to be consistent. And hear me, God is not asking you to do this all by yourself. He comes alongside you. Look at this in John chapter 15. I am the true vine. This is Jesus talking. I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce even more. Jesus is talking, this is what the Father is doing to me, and I think he's giving us a whole picture of what he wants to do with all of us. Jesus redeems us, gives us the ability to overcome our inconsistency, overcome our unfaithfulness and our sinfulness so that we can grow. We can experience this to where God starts to go, hey, let's take these pieces out and let's start even the good things you have in your life, let's make them even better. I recently saw this kind of play out in a spot that I didn't expect it <laughs> because I have always been a person that wanted to be active, wanted to take care of myself in the sense of like, I always wanted to work out and, and I've been pretty good at that. And so I showed up last year at my doctor's office feeling pretty good about myself, okay? I was like, all right. I took first thing, got weighed. I was 10 pounds lighter. I was like, this is gonna be good. I know the doctor's gonna say some good things. And I walk in there and going through the stuff and I thought, I'm gonna get a good bill of health, walk out of here, feel good. But then he stopped in the blood sugar. And he said, listen, the last five years, your blood sugar has kept going up. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a 34. Like, how is this happening right now? Um, and so he says, if you get another test this high, we're going to have to label you diabetic. And I took a step back and went, excuse me? Like, I don't understand this. I work out. <laughs> like, I don't get it. And I remember, like, it all came, like, flooding back, like, the many arguments that I've had with my wife, Tina, where she says, I think it's more about what you eat than working out. And I'm like, I disagree. And, and this being like, ah, she's right. This is awesome. But it also scared me. It was a wake-up call because I didn't want to be diabetic. I didn't want to have to go through all of that. So the doctor says, hey, we're going to do this in three to four months. So here's what I started doing. I started looking at how can I make consistent choices to make sure I start getting my blood sugar low. And hear me, I, it wasn't like I changed things overnight. It wasn't crazy dramatic. Even if you go out to, to eat with me right now, you'd see I'll have some carbs. But I had to change what kind of carbs I was eating and the amount of carbs I was eating. I mean, yes, I used to love having desserts every night. That was not a problem because I worked out. You know, that was my thought process. <laughs> but then I had to change that. It's like, you know what? It might have to be once a week or even, you know, less than that. And learning that there's bad carbs and good carbs. There's all those kind of things. And I kept consistently doing it. And there were some days I didn't do it, but I kept consistently working at it. And the crazy part was I went to the next test. I was able to bring it down to where the doctor was like, hey, you're, that's good. He even looked at me and he's like, what did you change? I was like, 
Good to hear that, you know? But it was at a good spot to where I got to experience myself. It was growth on so many levels. I had it locked up here that my way of doing it was right. And I had to learn to let go of that and learn to try new things, try new foods. And I now can tell you, I have more energy. I have all those kind of things because I was willing to grow and deal with my inconsistencies, the things that were causing me to be unhealthy. And I'm telling you, if you're willing to be consistent and you'll begin to see what faithfulness truly looks like. The second piece of this is boundaries help keep our commitments in place. And boundaries aren't easy. Because the truth about boundaries is simply this. <laughs> you will disappoint people. That's the only way you know if your boundaries are working. Because you're going to have to tell people no. Like there was times where people were like, hey, let's go grab dessert. No. <sighs> I want to though. Um, but then there's also just the tough ones where people are putting stuff in your life and you're just like, I don't want that. And telling them no is hard. But I want you to look at this passage because I thought this was even a helpful perspective to look at this. But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Here's what I'd like for you to do in this passage. Take out the name Timothy and put your name in there. Does this describe you? Because if it does, I would say then you're starting to put boundaries in your life to when you see evil things, you go, no. I don't want a part of that. I've seen what that's like. I've been there, but I'm putting boundaries up. And instead, I'm going after what the things that I need in my life, the healthy things. There's even a quote, and there's a great book if you want to read it, called Boundaries, and it's by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend. I thought this quote, so helpful. <clears throat> Scriptural, scripture sorry, is full of admonitions to separate ourselves from people who act in destructive ways. We are not being unloving. Separating ourselves protects love because we are taking a stand against the things that destroy love. I thought it was well said, especially that we are not being unloving. Separating ourselves protects love because we are taking a stand against things that destroy love. Know this, this is what God does with us. When we are inconsistent, when we are unfaithful, he goes, whoa, I am not okay with that behavior. But I love you, I care about you, we can still have a relationship, but we need to work on that. Those are boundaries that he's, he has had. That's why he is holy and he goes, that's why I even had to send Jesus to that we can be forgiven and have a relationship with him, but he still wants a relationship with us to where we're looking, learning how to be faithful towards him. Because this cannot be a one-sided relationship where God does everything for us and we don't work to have a relationship with him. That's why God has these boundaries and I think we've got to learn to do the same thing in having boundaries with the people around us. So realize, yes, you're learning to be consistent. You learn to have boundaries. But there's one piece of it you have to deal with first. You have to navigate. And that is simply this. You've got to make up your mind. I go back to the Malachi passage because this is where Malachi started all of this off. Listen, you priests. This command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name, says the Lord of heaven's army. So I simply want to ask a question. Have you made up your mind about God? 
Do you want a real relationship with him? Do you want everything that he's willing to offer? Or do you believe that Jesus died and rose again so that you can have life and have it to the full? Have you made up your mind on that? Because if you have, then you be go, okay, I, because of what Jesus did, I have to learn to be consistent. I want to learn to be faithful. I want to put these boundaries in place. But you first have to make up your mind. I go back to the Cortez story. Because remember, his men were wavering. He was at a spot as a leader going, I'm all in, but you're not. He does something, I think, insane, but also brilliant. He burned all the ships. Burned them all to where now the, their guys' minds, the whole team, made up. Didn't have the options anymore. Got them all in on this. And I know that seems crazy, but I also think, what if it's something that we need to put in our lives to where maybe God's asking that to us, to where we keep living with options. We keep living with the things that are like, okay, I, I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, and I want to do this, because I also think there's a little bit of a, a fear of missing out, fear we're going to disappoint people. And so we do all these things that we know are kind of like, well, I know that may not honor God, but I feel like it's important. And we keep trying to have all of our options out. And God's going, you've got to make up your mind. You can't have me and want me to hear your prayers and do this, but you don't also want to follow me in other areas of your life. You can't be that inconsistent. And so for some of us, we gotta look at this and go, I need to burn the ships. I need to burn the ships that I have of addiction, burn the ships that I have of loneliness, or burn the ships that I have of, that are just holding me back, whatever they may be. Because I think God is looking for people who are willing to be faithful, willing to go after what God wants for them. But that takes courage. That takes strength. But it also takes making big decisions, like burning the ships. And so one of the things that we're gonna do tonight is we're gonna take communion. And as you take communion, I hope that you'll join in because here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for that to represent you going, I made up my mind. I'm all in with Jesus. I'm burning the ships of whatever's in the way. I'm going after what he wants. And I want to learn to be faithful towards him because all the faithfulness he's given me. It's no longer just good intentions. It's true steps, consistent steps towards Christ. I believe that's what God wants for us. And communion reminds us of what Jesus did so that we can go after this. We can have a relationship with him. So here's what I'd love for us to do. Go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads. Because for some of you, you may go, I've never made that decision. And I would love to give you some time right now. Or maybe for some of you, you made that decision a long time ago, but your life would tell you, no, I am not proud of where my life has been, but I need to make up my mind tonight. And so right now, I want to give you that opportunity. I'd love for you to pray with me. Dear God, we thank you for the God that you are. I pray 
that you would forgive my sins. And God, I've made up my mind to follow you. So God, help me to be faithful. Teach me to be consistent. Show me the boundaries I need in my life. But God, I give you control. Help me to keep burning the ships that get in the way. Because God, the only option I want is you. And God, for the rest of us, may we honor you with our lives. May we keep working at being faithful and consistent towards you. May we learn what that looks like. And so God, please, we are sorry for unfaithfulness. And may we learn to follow you with every step we have. We pray this in your name. Amen.